Hello, my friends. I don't know if you saw the news, but yesterday there was a Molotov cocktail attack on a Jewish synagogue in Montreal. And today, Jewish schools were found to have been shot at by a gun. Where is it going to end? I'll take you through some of the latest. But first, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this podcast. I want you to see with your own eyes what's happening in Montreal and around the country. Go to rebelnewsplus.com, click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month. You get the video version. And frankly, that money is how we pay the bills around here. We don't get any money from the Trudeau government, obviously. And we've been demonetized by YouTube. So we really rely on your support. Please go to rebelnewsplus.com. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, the Hamas hate rallies continue across the United States and Canada. How long until a Jew gets shot? It's November 9th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. I saw this story a couple of days ago. A Jewish protester who was waving an Israeli flag was killed in Los Angeles, according to the coroner. It was a homicide. He was allegedly attacked by a Muslim professor who supports Hamas. A homicide. Was it murder? Well, that's what the word homicide seems to mean. Also in Los Angeles, Gal Gadot, the Israeli actress behind the Wonder Woman franchise. She was in Los Angeles at the Museum of Tolerance screening a video series by the Israeli government showing people in Hollywood the absolutely atrocious and barbaric attacks on October 7th. Some of the footage is so shocking, it has not been released in public. It's been shown in different embassies around the world, and Gal Gadot was showing it to her friends from Hollywood at this Museum of Tolerance. Well, word got out that she was in town, an Israeli who supported Israel, And so pro-Hamas supporters showed up at a place called the Museum of Tolerance, and they had a little anti-Semitic riot right there. Take a look at this footage by a news helicopter overhead. That's Los Angeles, which has a large Jewish population, by the way. Not as large as New York's. They've had their share of mini-riots as well, held back in this case by police. But the Jews there were assaulted physically. I don't need to reach into the United States to show you what's going on. In the past few days across Canada, things have moved up a notch. Here are students at Concordia University in Montreal chanting, throw the kikes out, kike being the equivalent of the N-word to describe Jews. Here, take a look. Just stop for a second and imagine someone saying that to a black person or someone using similar language about any other group. Well, here's the University of Montreal where a professor was shouting at Jews, Professor Yanis Arab was shouting to Jews to go back to Poland, Sharmuta, which is an Arabic phrase for whore. 
shouting that at a Jewish student. Take a look at this. That's a professor. Imagine if you were a Jewish student or, or any student who just didn't like that extreme language pumped out by a professor. And by the way, those Jewish kids were in a student club area. They were having those little pictures of the kidnapped Jewish babies. And that's what motivated this vomiting of racist hatred that in any other situation would have immediately resulted in the suspension, the termination, the firing of, of the perpetrators. But here, oh, well, they're just very passionate. That's schools. Schools are bad because you have the woke uh, Canadian in, in industry met with migrants from places where anti-Semitism is endemic. But what about if you just want to take the subway in Toronto? Well, Union Station is the largest subway station in Toronto. It's right across from the Royal York Hotel right downtown. They call it Union Station because it's where the lines cross and the train starts. And Palestinian activists took over the place. They blocked the place. Take a look at this. Imagine being a Jew, not just a Jew, but perhaps an identifiable Jew, wearing your yarmulke or a Star of David around your neck, trying to walk through that. Would you feel safe? Well, I don't know if you'd be allowed to walk through at all. And that's in public property, shutting down a subway stop. But today also, Palestinian protesters occupied private buildings. They were in a bank not just the main branch of the bank, an office tower yesterday, but they actually started invading bank branches and police just stood and looked on. Take a look at this.
imagine if a group of masked people stormed into a bank and shut it down. You don't have to imagine. Uh, you remember how the police acted when anti-vaccine mandate or anti-lockdown activists walked in public places. They were arrested and jailed. This is in private banks and offices and shutting down subway lines and the police just stand back. You know, I, for years, the Iranian government would organize an annual anti-Semitic rally in Toronto called Al-Quds Day. It was a made-up day by the government of Iran. It was basically an anti-Semitic hate fest in Toronto. It was clearly organized and orchestrated by the Iranian government. It was part of their foreign policy to stir up anti-Semitic hatred around the world. Those same forces are now recreating their hate rallies, but they're doing it in private buildings, in public buildings, in, in subway lines, in the offices of members of parliament, and not a wink of pushback by the Canadian government. If you think that's bad, take a look at this speech by a hate preacher on top of a building preaching to more than 10,000 haters down below. Take a listen and listen to that word, amen, amen, amin. Take a listen. Amen. 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 That's Adil Sharkawi, an extremist pro-terrorist activist who is in the past being jailed. He's back on the streets preaching hate. Police won't touch him. I mean, if he's unvaxxed, then maybe. If he refused to wear a mask during the lockdowns, maybe. But just calling for the death of Jews, no problem. Have at her. Well, that was the words, and it's transformed into deeds. Did you see this story yesterday? A synagogue in Montreal hit by a Molotov cocktail. Take a look at this. Our reporter, Alexa Lavoie, was on the scene. Morning for morning services. There was a smell of smoke in the area of the main vestibule, which we don't use every morning. Mm -hmm. And a few of the members went outside and they noticed that there was the uh, rest of what appears to have been a Molotov cocktail that had been thrown against the building. And you can see that there are still pieces of glass here. And you can see that there's the remnants of fire scorching the doors of the synagogue. How do you feel about this attack that, I, that occurred last night? We are saddened that the hate that is propagated by people such as Adil Sharkawi and others at pro-Hamas demonstrations, and I use that word clearly because they are very much pro-Hamas demonstrations, these words which incite to violence, sadly, have found their home here. So first the firebombing yesterday, and then this morning we discover shootings, gunshots at Jewish schools called yeshivas. Again, our reporter in Montreal, Alexa Lavoie, was on the scene. According to witnesses at the Yeshiva Gedola in Outremont, security videos footage showed a man who came on foot halfway to the entrance, shot in the middle of the door and left. The bullet passed through the first door and shattered the glass of the second door. 
So I let you on the interview with the police officer who gave us an update and with some of the people who were on the ground when we arrived. The two events that are investigated at this point by the Montreal Police Department following two 911 calls that was placed this morning for impacts that were found on two uh, entrance doors of a school, one in St. Kevin Avenue in NDG, the other one here in Outremont uh, that was found on Deacon Road. So uh, police officers were called on site. They were able to locate those two impacts that were found. So from there, there was a perimeter that was established. Uh, we've looked around so far at this point, just to mention that those two events, according to information that we have, those two events took place on the course of the night. So there was no one in the school, so no one was injured. So investigators are on their way. They'll do the analysis of the scene here and on the other one on St. Kevin. They'll try to look at some surveillance cameras to have footage and information on potential suspect or any vehicle that could be seen leaving the scene. So for now, we don't have any arrest, but investigators are going to try to gather all the information. Well, what do you think would have happened if it was gunshots or Molotov cocktails thrown at a mosque or at an abortion clinic or at a gay pride parade or an office. Well, Justin Trudeau would have had a national press conference speaking in his best substitute drama teacher voice. The RCMP would have launched a task force. They would have called in to affect terrorism laws. The CBC would go live from the location for hours. But it's just the Jews. And, you know, both sides need to calm down. Justin Trudeau uses the same language when there's anti-Semitic attacks as he uses overseas, a false equivalence. Because look, he can do the math. He looks around. He sees that there's 1.5 million voters in Canada who are Muslim and just 300,000 Jews, and he can count noses. And of course, there's the liberal Hamas caucus. There's a few stragglers, Jews left in the party, but Justin Trudeau has decided that he will turn a blind eye to anti-Semitism and even to anti-Semitic violence because he is not about to lose his last remnant of support in this country. Justin Trudeau is behind in the polls by at least 10 points. There's no way he's going to alienate the people who helped put him there. And by the way, he's never really been for the West. Part of wokeism is being against the West. And of course, Israel is not in the West, but it's seen as an outpost of Western values in the Middle East. It's a liberal democracy that is integrated in the Western economy. They call America the great Satan. They call Israel the little Satan. And so the woke ideology of looking at everything through the prism of oppressor and oppressed is transposed onto Israel. And even though millions of Israelis are visible minorities, the Jews even are called Sephardi Jews. They're from Arab lands, kicked out, by the way, from Arab countries like Morocco and Algeria and Tunisia and Iraq and Yemen and Iran. After the birth of Israel, they were all kicked out. They were all refugees. So you have many brown-skinned Jews in Israel. Nonetheless, they're called white supremacists because in that cultural Marxist prism, Israel is the oppressor, Palestinians are the oppressed, and so literally anything is fair game, including murder and torture. That is the woke ideology. Justin Trudeau subscribes to that ideology, and that is why one of the reasons why he's anti-Israel and pro-Hamas. People look to their leaders, and in Canada... Our national leader is the most pro-Hamas leader in the G7. In fact, now that I think about it, I think every single leader of the G7 has visited Israel to stand with Israel and against Hamas. Every single leader, that is, except for Justin Trudeau. He's made it clear whose side he's on. He is the most pro-Hamas leader in the entire free world. I don't know if you recall, it was before I was born and perhaps before you were born too, 
But Canada had a terrorist problem on the streets of Quebec before. It was led by a terrorist group called the FLQ, Front de Liberation de Quebec, the Liberation Front of Quebec. And it had ties with foreign countries too, in that case, Cuba. They kidnapped a British diplomat. They killed a Quebec cabinet minister and they set off some mailbox bombs. So they did in fact kill somebody. And that, thank God, hasn't happened yet with these Hamas terrorists in Canada. But one kidnapping and one murder, and again, those are too many, but that was the scale of it, was enough for Pierre Trudeau to put the entire country under martial law, to suspend civil liberties, including, by the way, appointing censors in the newspapers. That was one of the tools that Pierre Trudeau invoked. He arrested hundreds of political opponents. And I don't know if you recall, but in one of his most famous comments, he was asked by a reporter how far he would go. And he said, just watch me. At any cost? How far would you go with that? How far would you extend that? Well, just watch me. That was Pierre Trudeau perhaps overreacting to one shooting. And again, I'm not diminishing the gravity of that one shooting. But Justin Trudeau, judging by his conduct these past weeks, well, he would have been on the side of the FLQ. What a contrast to his brutal handling of the peaceful truckers. You know, we're sending our Montreal reporter, Alexa Lavoie, to London, England this weekend to cover the dueling marches. As you may know, this weekend is Remembrance Day. It's celebrated on the same day in the United Kingdom as it is here in Canada. And they have a great tradition of Remembrance Day in the United Kingdom. They take it very seriously. They have poppies there like we do over here. And yet the pro-Hamas activists have said they will march on Remembrance Day and they will march right down Whitehall where the National War Memorial is in that country. Politicians have asked them not to. The police have asked them not to. But that's the thing about Hamas. They don't really take well to instructions. They're here to overthrow. That's what they mean when they say intifada revolution. That's what they say about globalizing the revolution. There's as much threat on the streets of the United Kingdom as there is in other places such as the Middle East. It'll be fascinating to see what happens. I look forward to the reports by Alexa Lavoie of what happens when the jihadists and the British mix and meet on the streets. She'll be very careful, of course. What I'm really worried about, though, is our own country. In the course of a few days, we've gone from pro-Hamas hate rallies to Molotov cocktails and now bullet holes. There has been one homicide in the United States. I fear that that will not be the last. And I fear that in Canada, the worst is yet to come. Stay with us. Up next, our friend Mark Morano. Well, as you know, one of the signature moves that Rebel News has done since we were born is to attend the United Nations Global Warming Conferences, and they've been fascinating. We went to Marrakesh, Morocco. We've been to Poland, to Germany. We've been all around the world. Now, they held off during the lockdowns, but then they came back last year in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. And this year, it's in Dubai, the United Arab Emirates. We're interested in going, but the problem with 
Egypt and the United Arab Emirates. They're not totally totalitarian countries, but they're a little bit on the authoritarian side. And because Canada has blackballed us at the United Nations, that is, the Environment Department in Canada has instructed the UN not to accredit rebel news, and we have that in writing, we typically go to these conferences as outsiders, as citizen journalists. We're not allowed in the velvet rope, but that's fine. We do great journalism from the outside. Trouble is, that doesn't work in countries that do not have a robust freedom of the press. So when we were in Poland, when we were in Germany, we were able to scrum politicians to our heart's content. I think we went to Glasgow too, if I recall. But we were advised by lawyers, for example, in Cairo, who we asked, they said, if you do your rebel news style of journalism in Egypt without the UN accreditation, you will be deported and most likely jailed. So we made the decision to cancel our trip there. And as you know, Rebel News has recently been to Dubai and the United Arab Emirates. And by the way, I've got nothing but nice things to say about them. And I should note that the United Arab Emirates has not had Canada-style riots and hate rallies in response to the Hamas attacks. United Arab Emirates has been more civilized than Canada, but still... We know from our trip there, they do not allow free journalism on the streets. In fact, even on our trip, our cameraman, Kian Simone, was told to put his camera away. Isn't that interesting? So to my regret, Rebel News has not been able to send journalists to the last one and the next one, not because we don't want to, but because our reporters will most certainly be arrested but we have a friend who is going, and he has managed to get accreditation. And frankly, he's what I like to call a one-man army, perhaps the most informed, best-read person I know on the politics of global warming. You know who I'm talking about, my friend Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDepot.com. He joins me now. Mark, great to see you. You actually have been accredited, not as a journalist, but as an NGO. Am I right? Yes. And we go every year. Now, we did run into the problem similar to, well, probably, I don't know if it's similar, but we sort of asked for it. In 2016 in Marrakesh, Morocco, uh, I had the bright idea of putting a Trump cardboard cutout. This was right after Donald Trump's election, like two weeks after. I put a Trump cardboard cutout, started shredding the UN climate agreement mm -hmm. with a paper shredder at the media tent outside, inside, inside the actual UN, but outside the media tent. And I was immediately descended on. After about two and a half, three minutes, uh, armed UN climate cops came and seized my cardboard cutout, and they escorted me and Craig Rucker, CFAC, out into the desert. We had to wander the desert. Now, it was only for about 100 yards, maybe a football field, but still, we had to wander the desert. And then after we came, came around to the parking lot, they sent out the armed UN climate cops again to seize all my press releases, paperwork, and go through my bag, and they revoked our credentials. Well, it took a whole year of a lot of finagling, and we had to go in and say, we are sorry, uh, and pledge not to do that kind of misbehavior again. And so we actually got our credentials back. But it was a, a long process, took about a year. Uh, and we are like you, we are on a watch list. But of course, we're still in. But I will say this, Ezra. 
the rebel news after what you did on the streets of Davos. First of all, there's no justice in the world in terms of media awards. You should be getting massive mainstream journalistic awards for what you accomplished in the streets of Davos with Borla, with uh, Greta, etc. But they will never give it to you. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, next year in Davos, they are on the lookout for anyone doing what you guys did or specifically you guys. Again, I think they'll have whole new rules and the Swiss Guard won't be as uh, a friend next time because when the global elites want something done they usually get it done and they're going to want to shut you down and anyone who descends down isn't that interesting well first of all i remember what you did in marrakesh and our friend sheila gun reed was yes. there that was the last time we were actually accredited after that uh, the disgraced former environment minister Catherine mckenna instructed the un not to uh, accredit us um but what we did in Davos is exactly my point. We we are not credentialed at the World Economic Forum. We have not been allowed inside. But because Switzerland is a civil liberties respecting country, it's actually a very liberal democracy. It's a wonderful place. Their police have a light touch and, and their police are heavily armed. Like they have big semi-automatic rifles. They look paramilitary. But they observed us scrumming Albert Bourla of Pfizer and they didn't even in Canada, the police would have probably intervened. In Switzerland, they were very hands off. And, and we're getting a little bit off topic here, but I recall that when we were pulled over by police, um, I said, freedom of the press. And they said, you're right, move on. Like they, I have to say, I've been around the world to many places, including America and the United Kingdom and Australia and New Zealand. And Switzerland, their police have been the most free speech oriented police I have ever encountered. So hopefully they won't crack down on us. And I think the World Economic Forum themselves might put a warning out saying, don't wander the streets. But anyways, let's come back to you because, um, I mean, thanks for your kudos for our work at the World Economic Forum. And that is exactly why we can't go to Dubai or Egypt yes. without credentials because they would jail us. Okay. You know, thanks for letting me tell those stories, but I want to talk to you. Um, the world is on fire right now, whether it's the you know, I feel like we're sleepwalking to World War III in the Middle East or the Ukraine-Russia conflict. I, I, you know, massive inflation, poverty. The world is dangerous now. And I think that means that carbon taxes and green schemes, which are sort of a luxury policy yes. item, that's what, uh, that's what uh, Democrats talk about when everything's going well. That's what ordinary people say. Yeah, I'm totally un in favor of that when things are going well. When the world is not going well, I think it's one of the first policy items to be taken off the front burner. Why don't you give me your thoughts on that? How is the state of carbon taxes and green schemes in 2023 as opposed to two years ago? Well, but before I let me just say that even in good times, people, you know, you have your activists and you have your government and corporate, they all push it extra hard in good times and prosperity. But even when we had the good times years ago, you had Pew Research, major respected polling, ask people their priorities and climate change on a word, whether it was Gallup and whether it was uh, all these different international and national polling firms would find climate was ranked 18, 19 out of 20, 20 out of 20, 10 out of 10. Even Gallup one year found among environmental issues, and this mm. wasn't that long ago, five years ago, that climate was dead last among environmental issues behind air, clean air, clean water, species extinction, deforestation. It's always been dead last. To, to the general public. Now, what ends up happening here 
is they recognized this years ago, and I still say March 2020 changed the whole mindset. They no longer cared about whether the public was behind it or whether they had to sell it. They introduced the Green New Deal in Congress in the United States, never scheduled a vote, never voted on it, never had hearings, never did anything. They don't need it because everything's bypassing democracy, corporate government collusion now when it comes to this agenda, every cabinet agency. So that's what's happened. So that has gone on a pace. And then you add in the Inflation Reduction Act, which has brought in hundreds of billions of dollars now and with trillions committed. And it's particularly insidious because decades into the future, uh, Ezra, regardless of how green energy is doing, they're going to keep funding it and mandating it as part of this law. Now, obviously, that can be repealed. But you asked me the state of, of green energy right now. It is in complete collapse around the world, starting with the COVID lockdowns, which impacted supply chain, economics. Then you had the Russia-Ukraine war, which had a lot of negative effects, obviously, on supply chain. You had the, the pipeline blow up, uh, the Russian Nord Stream pipeline, uh, which even affected more. So you had Russia now aligning with China, all these geopolitical shifts. Then you have the uh, terrorist attack in Israel, which then turns you know the public's attention right so to more pressing issues. So right now, it's almost a gift, I would say. This is a bizarre thing. Because green energy is collapsing, no one's really noticing. And when I say green energy is collapsing, I mean there's at least a dozen major offshore wind projects on the U.S. East Coast belly up. This is despite massive subsidies, massive tax credits, massive uh, bans of their competition, i.e. fossil fuels. They can't make it work. They can't even get a profit. Then you have the electric car collapse, both in Europe and the United States. Remember, they're banning gas-powered cars. Never a vote of Congress, no vote of anyone anywhere. I mean, even California, the, the heart, this epicenter of this, California legislator never voted. This was all done by executive order, unelected bureaucrats, corporate government collusion. You have banks saying they won't give out car loans. You have the World Bank saying they're going to defund electric cars. We now have the CEOs of just about every major Western automaker from Mercedes to Volkswagen to Ford, Chrysler, all saying EVs, this is not working. They're piling up on our lots. We are hemorrhaging money. And as they're saying this, they're looking at the next 10 years and all the mandates are coming in more. Government doesn't care. This is an ideology like the Soviet Union. It's like it's like an old Soviet playbook. You're studying Soviet central planning. They're going forward with this statutorily in our books. But finally, we're getting the CEOs to come back. So what's happened globally is this is an utter and complete collapse. And in the case of EVs, one last point, China is about to become the world's number one automaker over this time period if these mandates continue and nothing changes in Europe and the United States. And what I mean by that is China has the monopoly on all the rare earth mining for the EV batteries. They have the cheapest EV cars. They have the lowest environmental standards, the lowest human rights standards. And even EU is now considering tariffs to prevent the Chinese invasion of electric cars. The U.S. automakers see it. The, the big recent a labor strike in the U.S., the UAW, United Auto Workers, was a big part of this. So it is an utter and complete collapse across the board. No one's really paying much attention. I was on Fox News last week. The really the only major story that we got out on the mainstream cable corporate news anywhere. And this is what's happening uh, as they head into this COP28 in Dubai. And it's going to be I, I'm not expecting much out of this, except they're going to be trying to cover up and, and put a happy face 
on what is only the miserable collapse of this entire agenda. And I, when I say collapse, I don't mean like, oh, in six months it'll recover. It's not workable. We knew that for years. And I can explain the history of that if you'd like. Yeah. You know, I'm excited. Just before we turn on the camera, you and I were talking about uh, Dubai, and I understand you've never been before. It's an amazing, miraculous city with so many superlatives. Tallest building in the world, Burj Khalifa. Like that whole country has sprung up in the last 20 years. And I I was there a couple months ago. We went with about 40 rebel enthusiasts um, to to check it out on a a fact-finding trip. And- I know you will you will be impressed with the industry of the place, but what you will know, I, I went there in August when it was 40, 45 degrees Celsius, which is probably 120 Fahrenheit, something like that. Yeah. That city, not just the skyscrapers and the uh, manufactured islands like the Palm Jumeirah, it's called, but nothing would work in that city, air, just air conditioning alone without fossil fuels. I think pound for pound, person for person, Dubai has probably got to be one of the most carbon intensive places in the world. And I say this with great admiration and wonder, as Alex Epstein would say, it wasn't climate um, change, it was climate mastery. The United Arab Emirates has mastered life in a scorching hot desert, and they've made the desert in their own way bloom, not so much with trees, but with skyscrapers. And the the jarring juxtaposition of this marvel of industry completely driven, like the water is desalinated from the sea through hydrocarbons. And I think you're going to be blown away by the industry of the place. I think you're going to love Dubai for different reasons. And I mean, it's, it's not just the Las Vegas of the Middle East. It is an industrial marvel. And the the contrast of the, that pro-growth, get it done, can do, superlative, higher, faster, farther, better, versus the ideological mindset of the global warming type set, which is reduce, reuse, recycle, degrowth. Yeah. Uh, don't turn your air conditioning on too much in the summer. Don't turn your heat on too much in the winter. It, it couldn't be a bigger contrast. And um, I just wish we could go, but because we're not accredited by the UN, and we we cannot go to a country that doesn't have a free press. Sorry, back to you. I just wanted to tell you my thoughts on Dubai. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. it you're exactly right. Now, their leader, Al Jaber, is actually virtue signaling to the whole COP28 UN climate agenda. They're going to have, and we've already been invited to go look at, you know, I, I don't know how many acres or football fields of solar panels. So they got the show on to look like that they're committed to the climate agenda. But the key point of what you said, Ezra, is they're not living like they're committed to it. And that's a good thing. We're praising them. You and I would both praise them for that. But politically, they still are pandering to this COP28 agenda. And a lot of the activists, the climate activists, and even some UN officials aren't happy that they chose this because they see it, everything you just described, they see it as a mockery of the UN agenda. The last thing the UN is about is mastery of the climate, can-do attitude, making it happen. The UN is about impoverishing, central planning, putting them in charge, climate funds, redistribution of wealth, and having as few a people as possible, uh, you know, a centralization of decision-making to only a few. So uh, I wish they would even stand taller, and I, and I know against this UN agenda. So I, unfortunately, we're going to have to listen to the, the leader of Dubai go up there and probably pay lip service, and he'll give a big keynote speech. But in terms of 
why this is so important now. You know, I mentioned when Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor, 2006, he passed the Climate Global Warming Solutions Act, and he was hailed as a climate hero for decades after. Yeah, well, he did the first, he was the climate hero. He did nothing. All he did was commit California to a bunch of things. He left office and nothing really had been done by that point. So he got away with it. But what happens is we're at the threshold point, whether it's EVs, whether it's solar, whether it's wind, whether it's all the bans on gas powered cars, the bans we're seeing on coal and fracking and all the bans on, on drilling in the Western nations. That's having a huge impact on the price of fossil fuels, on, on the uh, just the entire economies of these Western nations. And we're seeing Europe now, once again, terrified of winter. The United States, terrified of winter and the electricity bills and the blackouts and all the shortages that we could face because of these mandates. <laughs> so that is what's going on. So the UN is going to have this whole summit in the middle of all this, plus all the international Ukraine and Israel and war against terror. And it's going to be just a big mess. There's no one at the UN could possibly be happy going into this summit. And of course, that's why King Charles is going to be there. They're bringing in Pope Francis. They're going to try to do all kinds of slights. Really? Of I didn't know. King Charles they, and Pope yeah. Francis. That You know what? I Those are certainly big names. You don't get much bigger than that. But in a way, it's sort of pitiful that they need to gin up interest by bringing in what I might call celebrities. Very, very interesting. You know, and it's funny because Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, he he was deep into the climate stuff and you know when it, when he was the first uh, climate summit after he became prime minister was in Paris. And so Canada had, if I'm not mistaken, the largest delegation in the world. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Paris to go from that from the wonderkind uh, of uh, global warming to the guy who's you know, desperate to shore himself up in the polls and his, I, I'm not sure how closely he'd been following Canada, but uh, Trudeau has suspended his carbon tax plans in Atlantic Canada, which is traditionally his lab his liberal voter base. And now the rest of the country is saying, well, if you're going to cancel for them, you got to cancel for us. He's got a bit of a constitutional uprising on his hands. I mean, yeah. and, and it, even his former environment minister, the one who blackballed us, the one who went to Marrakesh in Paris, she's on Twitter chirping about it. Oh, you know, why is Canada giving? It's sort of funny how Justin Trudeau showed that at the end of the day, he absolutely will put anything in his own survival ahead of his dearest plans for the carbon tax. It's sort of beautiful yes. to see. Last point to you. Go ahead. Well, to your point about Justin Trudeau, when reality hits, it's one thing to make commitments and talk a big game. And I use the example, the analogy of defund the police. Remember, George Floyd, it was June of 2020. We had every major liberal city and even major liberal Democrat politicians in the United States praising the idea it's time to defund the police. We need community policing. They started cutting back budgets. What happened? We saw in real time immediately what a disaster. So within a year later, Joe Biden's given a state of the union. It's time to refund the police. Mm -hmm. And you have the mayor of San Francisco now, at least rhetorically talking about refunding. It's been a disaster. They got to see it in real time. That's basically green energy agenda, the climate agenda. But it takes decades because, like I like to say, only half jokingly, it's easier to transition your gender than it is your energy of the type of central planning they're talking about. It's not going to happen. This is true energy dysphoria we're suffering from and they're getting this moment of clarity now and it's all coming with supply chain and of course you have inflation and the modern monetary theory printing all the excess money the debt 
unbelievable. We're having now the multiple wars. We just had a congressional report, by the way, saying the U.S. has to prepare for simultaneous war with Russia and China. Uh, and then, of course, that's right before the Middle East happened. So we have three wars here in the United States we're going to fight. You think people are going to be thinking about the climate agenda during any yeah. of this? No, they're going to be thinking about how to repeal it. And, and, and that's what we got to get Republicans here in the United States uh, on board with that because we can do it. And the major candidates, of course, are Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump here in the U.S. are all for that. So, hmm. well, these are certainly momentous days. Good luck in Dubai. You're going to have a wonderful time. I wish we could send our reporters um, not for a tourist uh, trip, uh, of course, but to do the kind of citizen journalism that we like yes. to do. Alas, we'll have to wait until uh, the U.N. returns to a place with a free press. Mark, safe journeys. We look forward to your reports from Dubai, and I'm glad that you're on the inside. Take care, my friend. All right. Thank you, Ezra. Appreciate it. All right. There you have it. Mark Morano, he's the boss of ClimateDepot.com, and he's attending the Global Warming Conference as an NGO. We, however, are banned as journalists. Hey, welcome back. Your letters to me. Wayne Curry says, glad you're covering these men. However, for rebel viewers to crowdfund serious criminal code violations seems like a bridge too far, at least for the time being. Keep up the great work. You know, I, I think so, too. Uh, there are charities you can support for general criminal defense. One's called the Elizabeth Fry Society. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Uh, and there's a, there's, there's a John Howard Society. These are groups that basically fund criminal defense for people who can't afford them. And of course, every government in Canada also has a legal aid program. I am somewhat skeptical about the charges against these men because what I heard yesterday in Lethbridge, and regrettably I can't tell you the evidence because it's subject to a publication ban, there was some evidence put by the prosecutor before the judge that I know firsthand is junk. It's political junk. Now, there's some other serious evidence there. But that is not what Rebel News raised the funds for. You rem Maybe you remember I said help with the civil disobedience, help with the mischief charges and the obstruction, help with the nonviolent, peaceful, Gandhi-style resistance. And for people who are charged with the very serious crime of conspiracy to commit murder, I'm sympathetic to their families, and I hope they're acquitted, by the way. I hope they didn't do it. But we're not going to take money raised by Rebel News viewers for civil liberties to spend on that. And perhaps I'm sounding too defensive on that. But whenever I go to that town, I'm asked that question. And I, and I know it's because they are, you know, the families are in pain. Their sons have been in jail for 600 plus days. I'll tell you what we will do. We will continue to report on the story. That's for sure. Marlene Moran says the boys are not in jail. They are in remand and do not have the same rights given to those being held in jail. These four men appear to be political prisoners. Thank you for that uh, clarification. And by, and by what you mean is that there's different kinds of jail and prison. And that goes to how comfortable they are, how much sociability they, you have with other prisoners, what kind of visitation rights, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not an expert in Canadian prisons, but I know it has been an issue that these men are being held in strenuous situations. And for 600 days, it's absurd. Um, I'm not an expert in those details, and I am sympathetic. I know from when my uh, old, our, our old alumnus, Tommy Robinson, was put in jail, how terrible conditions can be, especially if they put you in solitary confinement in the name of 
COVID isolation. That's very abusive. So I am sympathetic to the way these men are being treated. And that's what yesterday's hearing was about, is that one of the men, Chris Carbert, wanted to have a bail variation hearing. And yesterday he won the right to have that hearing, which I understand is coming up in about a month or so. Uh, Billy D. Williams writes in on banning the Chinese app called WeChat. Authoritarian dictator bans app from authoritarian dictator's country, right? What's this really about? <laughs> you know, it's a tricky one. I mean, I perhaps I should not be on TikTok, and I did delete it for a while, but it was a, a window into the world that I couldn't find elsewhere. I, I'm the same person on my phone, um, and both apps are spying on me, both Twitter and TikTok and Facebook. They're all spying on me. They all listen to me. They all watch what I type. So to me, it's a fascinating study, me being me, I'm the same me, what Twitter does in response to that and what TikTok does in response to that. What TikTok serves up to me, I would never see anywhere else. And I'm a 51-year-old man who's interested in politics and I'm a conservative curmudgeon, but I look at what is being pumped into the minds of teenagers because that's really the market for TikTok. And, and that is one of my answers for how did the youngest generation become so woke, so hard left-wing, so culturally Marxist and so pro-Hamas? Well, the answer is for the first time in history, the enemy now has a pipeline directly to the eyes and ears of our own people, including our own kids. That's a terrifying thing, and I don't know if the libertarian answer of free speech works when it's a hostile enemy company. Of course, uh, the company that owns um, TikTok is called ByteDance. It is a Chinese com company, and it's subject to Chinese law, and it is coming for your kids. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom. <laughs>